Welcome to the Healthcare Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. With the conversation surrounding mental health being as dynamic and nuanced as it is, sports performance psychologist Dr. Lindsay Mitchell from The Pave Group joins us today to talk about some of the obstacles that come with trying to make mental health and self-care more approachable. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So why don't we start at ground level and can you tell us a little bit about The Pave Group? Sure. Um, so The Pave Group is a company that I started actually back in January of this year. Um, and what we what we do essentially is mainly work with military, uh, military families, as well as athletes. Um, and just kind of taking a mental health approach um, to care, kind of traditional mental health therapy, and really moving it into to mainstream where... You know, it's a lot of self-care, taking care of your mindset, how you can kind of become the best version of yourself and really getting away from you have to have a clinical diagnosis. You have to kind of go through a lot of red tape to get to get served. Um, so we're taking a lot of very traditional approaches and putting our own twist on them to reach specifically those populations. We still work with some other folks, but that's that's our target kind of demographic. So it's been it's been a labor of love, but we're, we're excited to be in business. Right on. So you mentioned putting your own twist on traditional practices. Can you go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, So kind of traditional therapy, you know, if you're not familiar with therapy, kind of what you see on TV, you go into an office, you sit on a couch, you talk, you know, to someone for 50 minutes. um, And it's very kind of traditional talk therapy, which I think is really valuable and certainly something that we incorporate um, that I incorporate into my approach with with people. But um, by kind of taking a different spin on it. So, for example, typically, men or veterans, some athletes have a really hard time engaging in that talk therapy where we're sitting across from each other, looking each other in the eye, you know, and they're supposed to open up about their, you know, feelings and where they're at and some really heavy topics, um, meeting you for the first time in this kind of sterile space. Uh, So a lot of times I meet people where they're at. So if it's an athlete, I might go to the field or the golf course, the court, wherever they, you know, their environment is. with military folks, it may be that we go for a walk. So you're not having that intense kind of direct eye contact. We're having a really casual conversation about all the things that are going on in your life and then how I can help um, either change that environment, adapt to that environment, or communicate in a way that just feels a little more natural. And you kind of build that relationship and that rapport uh, with clients in their own world. Um, you know, you can do a lot of great work in an office and then you go home. So kids go home to parents or you go back to school or you go back to work. Uh, and it's hard to know how these things can work until you get to engage, you know, in the environment that people participate in on a daily basis. So we've seen some success. Um, and like I said, definitely a time and place for kind of traditional therapy, but we like to try to add some different things so people can get the most uh, value and see the most results. Interesting. So since you've started implementing some of these new strategies, have you seen any hesitancy or reluctancy from people in, in, into accepting them? Sure. Um, so anytime, you know, anyone hears mental health therapist, psychologist, counselor, you know, walls go up, everyone panics. You're going to analyze me. You're going to slap a label on me. You're going to blame my mom for all of my problems, you know, or whatever kind of the case may be. So there's certainly, especially with businesses and even teams, you know, coaches want you to go in and say, you know, I want you to quote unquote, fix my player. 
you know, and I meet with a team or I see, you know, a practice or a game and then I go back to the coach and I may say, hey, you've got some other issues here or yes, this player is not communicating very well, but it may be kind of your approach, you know, to the, the leadership perspective or I kind of understand where the player is coming from. We need to have a bigger conversation. So whenever people kind of ask you to target something and then you come in and have maybe a different opinion or a different approach or, or really see some things working in conjunction with what they diagnosed as the problem, you can get a little bit of resistance from that. Um, change is hard. Uh, it's inevitable, but it can be really unsettling to ask people to do things differently than they've ever done before. So definitely some walls that go up. You have to build that trust. You know, I'm not trying to make life difficult. We're trying to improve things, um, but that can be really scary for people. So I think that's probably the biggest kind of resistance that, that we'll see. Interesting. So you've been out here working and licensed for quite a while now. Have you noticed in that time any trends or, or difference in rhythm in how people talk about concepts like mental health or self-care? Yeah, I think it's such it's such an evolution, you know, in our industry in the fact that obviously more people are talking about therapy. Um, I worked in D.C. for about five years and very casual conversation. You would hear people drop the line of, you know, my therapist says, or I was in therapy yesterday, you know, and 10 years ago, that wasn't, you know, a part of, of daily conversation. So certainly people are seeking help a little more often, a little more frequently. Um, things are streamlined a little bit. Um, so I think that's an improvement. I think you hear in the media, you hear a lot of, you know, mental health talk and, and diagnoses. So you have some of that. I think you also still have that stigma of if you have a, a an issue, you have to have a mental health diagnosis. So I'm not sure that we've done a good job in educating people that those things don't necessarily go kind of hand in hand. Um, and then, like I said, I also think the change in asking people to change and kind of having to bring a different spin. Social media has gotten more intense. So we see a whole bucket of, of problems that we weren't really dealing with five, six years ago. Um, so we're getting that judgment and that criticism a lot more intensely. Um, and self-care is, is a tricky one. I think we talk a lot about it. Um, even as, as therapists, we talk so much about giving ourselves that self-care, but we don't do a great job, I think, in practicing it. So I think we are getting into a culture that is very critical, very judgmental. You know, everyone thinks they're their expert in other people's lives. And so you're kind of coming, coming at it from that angle that, you know, it's hard. Uh, not to to take that in, be that, um, you know, in social media or just, you know, in regular conversation with people. And so I think the self-care, you know, you hear a lot of people, I don't have time to get a massage or, you know, I can't, I can't do this. So being busy and having a hundred different things to do and being pulled in a hundred different directions has almost become, you know, trendy. It's, it's acceptable to be overstressed and it's acceptable to be overworked and people that do it are celebrated and people that don't are sometimes seen, you know, as maybe weaker or needing to, to learn time management skills or things like that. So I feel like we have an interesting dichotomy. On one hand, we're doing a great job talking about it. But on the other hand, I'm not sure companies and teams um, and people are really valuing that, you know, you have to carve out that time. 
Um, and if you don't for yourself, no one, you know, is going to do it for you. So, you know, self-care doesn't necessarily mean a massage. It's, you know, treating yourself with kindness and doing little things throughout the day that give yourself that break. So it's a really interesting, interesting topic. I think in some areas we're really improving and then in others, um, you know, we still have to have those conversations on now we, that we've identified its importance. How how do we make that, you know, trendy, taking care of yourself and putting yourself first, you know, needs to be a little bit more accepted. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah, that does make sense. And and I'm curious how then what do you think is the best approach? Because, yes, we're, we're, we're definitely the, the conversations are out there and they're happening more than they ever have before. But from a marketing standpoint, how do you try to gear these conversations? to try and get people to seek out this, this all this self-help. Yeah, I think, you know, marketing with, you know, any sort of mental health kind of issue can be a challenge. So I think we almost have to take that mental health label out of the equation and it becomes, you know, putting yourself first, treating yourself with kindness, be your own friend um, and really look at it, look at it from that point of view. So, um, you know, it's simple things. And like I said, everyone hears that, you know, take a weekend at the spa or go on vacation. And instead it's, you know, that, you know, take a walk outside, buy yourself some fresh cut flowers. If you're a tea drinker, um, you know, drink a, a fancy tea or get a fancy coffee. Um, you know, even as simple as letting yourself get up 10 minutes later than you originally had. So I think marketing it in that way, that those products are beneficial to people. You know, there's a lot of that, you know, decreasing stress lotions and things like that. But it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It's making meaning in what your enjoyment comes from. So we do a lot of um, self-awareness of what stresses us out and really changing the conversation. Look within what small things bring you joy and then incorporate that in your life. So it stops being that mental health. You need a therapist. You have a diagnosis, there's certainly a place for that. Um, but for that everyday person that's pulled in a thousand different directions, really letting them be the expert in their own lives and seeking out those products or those little things or those little glimpses in their day that can that can help them kind of recharge and reboot and making that funny and cool and exciting and accepted and, and really changing changing that message that that you only need self-care when you're on the, you know, brink of, you know, losing it or having, you know, having a meltdown or whatever kind of label you want to put on it. And just incorporating that in our everyday life, that just becomes something that everyone does. It's great. And we kind of move on. So, you know, it's really simple stuff. Um, probably not the best marketing strategy, but I, I tell people all the time, anything we talk about is not life changing. You know, everyone knows a lot of these things. It's about not worrying if you're judged by doing them, figuring out what's meaningful for you and really trying to figure out your best plan and then drowning out, you know, all that white noise, that judgment and that criticism that's coming through. So it's about practicing it and about making meaning with it and less necessarily about the actual thing that it is that you're doing. Right. So I'm curious with this more um, approachable direction, right, in, in, in how you, you, you think we should be leading the conversation. What, what about what you do keeps you going? What keeps you engaged in what specifically does your day-to-day your -day look like? 
Yeah. So my day to day, you know, everything that I tell everybody, I'm not always great at, you know, being pulled in a million different directions and trying to be everything uh, to everyone. Certainly an issue uh, that even I struggle with. And I think all kind of small businesses um, struggle with. So the day to day, you know, changes one one hour. I'm on the court with somebody um, this afternoon. I'll be in an office right now. I'm talking to you on a podcast. I mean, all different things. And I think to reach people like I said, where they're at and in their environment. So really trying to be there when people are experiencing these feelings. So a lot of times what will happen is people will have, you know, an experience and they're not creating that awareness to be able to reflect on it after. So if you can get there and be there when they're having that experience, when they're in practice, when their boss is having a meeting and you get a chance to observe that, then you can help them learn how to reflect So essentially, my goal is to put myself out of a job because you want to, you know, inspire people to be able to do this reflecting and do this self-care and make this, you know, plan for themselves and empower them to do that. And then hopefully, you know, they lead by example and we, you know, teach our youth how to do that. And, And I think that's ultimately ultimately how we grow. So day to day, it's finding different and creative ways to, to open up the conversation. Um, and a lot of my day is really building trust with people and, and getting that I'm here to help and there's nothing to be afraid of and that vulnerability can be really powerful things. So it's really about creating as many conversations to allow people to feel comfortable um, in engaging, you know, in work that hopefully they'll eventually do for themselves and teach our youth how to do it for themselves. And that's ultimately how we build, you know, long-term change. So. Huh. So what originally drew you to this line of work and what keeps you engaged now? Um, that's a, a great question um, that I, I ask myself a lot, actually. Well, how did I get here? Um, in some ways, I think you blink and, and come from a place of yes. I, I got really fortunate to get in some you know great opportunities and some great, great education. Um, but ultimately, I think it was work you know, that found, found me. Um, so personally, I was not a very good student. I was a softball player and got paid to play a sport that I loved um, and then had to figure out what education a path I wanted to follow. So I took a, a psychology class, as most people in college do. You know, everyone has that Psych 101 class um, and fell in love with it. And it spoke to me kind of on a deeper level. Um, I had a, a grandmother that completed suicide back when I was in high school. So I knew that that was a topic that I was always really interested in, which you know really led me to the psychology called psychology field. Um, unfortunately, with psychology, if you don't go all the way to an advanced degree, um, it's hard to use that that education. So uh, saying yes to psychology when I was 18 kind of carved carved the path for my 20s. Uh, and now I'm here in my 30s, you know, doing doing this work. So it really just spoke to me kind of on a personal level. And I just pursued that path. So, so with all that said, What do you think are some things we could be doing differently to better approach the way we talk about mental health or self-care and and kind of deal with some of these stigmas out there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, that's the the big question that I think everyone that's drawn to this profession, you know, really wants to get at because you have to really find that balance. You know, mental health issues are real. They are, you know, a disease that typically don't have a cure, but that we can help kind of combat and we can treat and we can improve people's lives. So there's that side where these 
Diagnoses really help people, you know, get insurance, get medication. So we want to make sure we give due diligence, you know, to those issues. And then we kind of have the other side of the coin that's just because you might not be diagnosed clinically with depression doesn't mean that this isn't something that you need to focus on. And it doesn't mean that there's not some care that needs to be given to that. And it's more than just, oh, this person's having a bad day. So I think there's a huge education component that we continually have to start, you know, engaging with people. And I think in areas we do a really good job. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear about a school shooting and instantly the first question is, well, was that person diagnosed with a mental health issue? So, you know, still that instinct that's been ingrained in us so long, um, that very kind of old age approach to mental health and mental diagnoses. And, um, you know, we all think of multiple personality disorder and we think of the movie and kind of it's it's pictured in that way instead of, you know, what it can really look like. So I think our biggest obstacle still becomes that educational component. Um, but then it will also, you know, boil down to if you are using insurance to seek help, they the clinician has to, to give you a diagnosis. So um, knowing what that diagnosis is, knowing why you're getting it, knowing what it means. Um, and if it helps people and, and you know, some pe times people can really you know, hang on to that and it helps them understand their family history. And sometimes it can be really detrimental. So our biggest obstacle still is kind of lack of education. Um, and I also think it's we have WebMD. Everyone's very, you know, knowledgeable behind a computer. So everyone thinks they have an opinion about everybody's life. So again, I think it's about that empowerment of you are your own expert. You know your life better than anybody else, and you need to be able to kind of communicate that in in a safe space. And and I think what's getting harder is the places that people feel safe. Are, are getting marginally smaller. Uh, you know, workplace, you know, harassment is talked about, you know, family dynamics get more complicated. Social media increases, you know, judgment and criticism of friends and bosses. And like I said, everyone's pulled in a million different directions. So it can be really hard for people to have the space to figure out their life and to be their own expert. So I think still creating as many spaces as we can do that, if it's you know, courses that we create or blogs or podcasts or newspaper articles or any way to get information from professionals that are out doing the work. People that have been licensed, that have sat in front of people, that have listened to so many stories, you know, using that knowledge to help people navigate kind of mental health in general, not just medicine and diagnoses, but what it means to kind of be in charge of your own destiny and, and be your own expert can be really complicated. So it sounds very simple, but we've got to do some more education and really create safe spaces for people to explore things that they may not have ever explored before. So, Lindsay, you brought up school shootings and how that's one of the times in which mental health gets brought up. Adding the suicides of celebrities and people in power to that list, is it troubling to you that these are some of the only times when the average person thinks about mental health when they watch the news or catch it on Twitter? Yeah, I think it is. It's it's both troubling and, like I said, really puts kind of mental health in that negative light and in that, you know, this person did this thing due to a mental, you know, quote unquote illness. So I would while I do think there's research that needs to go to 
you know, the increase of school shootings and what's happening in our society with suicide and all of those things, I think, are really important and have such an impact on our society. But I think we have to have the conversation so much sooner than when these events happen. And, and you're exactly right. It comes on Twitter feeds or it comes on the news, you know, for a day or two. You know, then we don't hear anything about it until kind of the next event. Um, and I was doing a uh, an equestrian show jumper camp uh, two weeks ago, and I was working with a group of seven to 16 year old girls, which um, was exhausting to say the least, but really uh, wonderful. And they were broken up into groups and I had six year old girls that were writing down their goal for camp. So it's a very simple kind of goal and to get them to stand up and read it and have confidence in themselves and to find a voice. I couldn't get them to do that because um, they were scared of the judgment and criticism that they were going to experience. And so to think a seven year old person is experiencing judgment and which should be, you know, their fellow campers. Um, so we really have to go all the way down to the basics and figure out you know, these children can't find a voice. That's why they're stuffing all these things down. That's why they get to high school and experience these things and have these issues that they don't know what to do with. Then we start to see those more serious mental health kind of issues or that isolation. And, you know, as people get older, those feelings, you know, associate with higher ability to take action. And unfortunately, it's not always healthy action. So as kind of generic or cliche as it sounds, I think we've got to get to that foundational kiddo that doesn't have their voice so that when they get to, you know, high school age and, and those things are increasing and that pressure is increasing, we've built people that are equipped to, you know, explore what's happening with them instead of just kind of going down this little bit darker road. Certainly not the only issue, but I definitely think I'd like to see that be a part of the conversation instead of just talking about school shootings, suicides, you know, isolation, you know, then that leads into kind of a gun control issue. We go down this rabbit hole that's not really serving the ultimate purpose of why do people at this age in this environment feel like that is their only course of action? We are not we are doing something that lead people to think this is the only thing I can think of to get myself through this difficult situation, no matter if it's bullying or depression or whatnot. So we've got to really rewind and look at that foundation instead of, you know, doing this kind of at the last minute after this has already happened, let's go see who we can blame instead of let's get the prevention aspect going. And, you know, what are we doing on this end that's creating people at such a young age to feel, you know, so much judgment. So that was really, you know, such a simple um, thing that hit me when these, you know, little girls were having such a hard time expressing themselves. I think that may be um, a place to start and get us out of you know, when everyone's feeling hopeless and we're all confused and no one knows what to do, we start looking at these, you know, incidences and, and pointing fingers. We've got to really rewind the tape and and do a better job on the front end. Right, right, right. So, Lindsay, with all that said, what are you hopeful for now? What what do you what do you hope to see on the horizon someday? Um, you know, I'm hopeful this is going to be a very uh, psychologist answer, but I am uh, very hopeful in the innate goodness of human beings. So, you know, we're at a place right now where I think we're at a crossroads. Like I said, 
you know, everyone has engaged in judgmental conversation or criticism or probably responded to someone, you know, on Facebook that they wish that they could take back. But ultimately, I do believe that there's a a purpose in our in our community and our society to help people. I think we're starting to really see a lot of compassion, um, and it's a great place to start to remind everyone that there is goodness in the world. There are safe places to go. There are people that are willing to help. Um, so I don't think we've obviously put the puzzle piece together because there's so much going on that we still hear about. But I think the pieces are there. So if we can, you know, find the right people that are being heard and that are having those conversations, and again, the culture of stress is not is not cool judging people you know is not the direction that we want to go um i think we're starting to have those conversations and we're really starting to understand that it's it's a little bit more complicated but that open forum that trust building that community building you know not having your relationship be in front of a screen but interacting um you know with people on a humanistic level um i really think that is that is my hope that we start tapping in to that innate goodness of people, that desire to be connected, human contact, you know, community building, all all of those things. And we start putting, you know, leaders in place that allow, you know, everyone's voice, you know, to be heard. So like I said, I know that's very um, ideologistic, but, you know, it, it, at the very heart of it, you know, that's why I got into this profession is I do believe at the core people are wanting you know wanting to move in in a better direction and i do believe that that we will slowly start to to piece that puzzle together well lindsay thank you so much for joining us today i I really appreciate your time well i appreciate you you asking the right questions and at least you know giving the conversation um, a place to be heard so thank you thank you for listening to today's podcast if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.